Hi, this is Unsuitable with Mary B. Saferit, the podcast where I interview single Christians about their lives and faith. Episode 5, what is up? I hope you enjoyed the past four episodes as much as I did. There's some great stuff in there, so if you haven't listened yet, go back and check them out. So this is a new thing I'm trying over here at Unsuitable with Mary B. Saferit. It's a little wrap-up episode where I'm going to share some of my thoughts on the theme, some key takeaways from the episodes you've heard so far, and give you some tools to help you engage with the series theme more deeply. Again, if you haven't listened to the interviews, I would definitely encourage you to do so. You'll get the most out of this episode if you have the context of the previous episodes. I distinctly remember feeling unsuitable in my work when I got my first food service job in the city. After leaving North Carolina, I swore I would never get into food service again. And within a year, I found myself sitting at the bar of a trendy Indian restaurant being interviewed by the managers. I have a deep love of food, and there are some elements of food service that I enjoyed. So naturally, when I was contemplating getting back into food service, That is what I remembered, more than the many, many downsides. I remember thinking, this place will be different. The standard of service in this restaurant was higher than any place I had ever worked. It was New York. It was a celebrity chef. There were courses I had to keep track of. I had an assistant server. Twas a lot. On top of that, I knew absolutely nothing about Indian food. But I got the job. And I started training. I had to memorize absolutely everything about the menu and the beverage list and be able to articulate all of those details to the guest. Yes, we called them guests. We weren't allowed to call them customers. I was so nervous that I was going to look like an idiot who didn't know what she was talking about, mainly because I didn't really know what I was talking about at first. I hadn't tried much of the food and I didn't know much about the drinks either. So for the first month I worked there, I would spend the 45-minute train ride in an anxiety spiral. What if I couldn't keep up with the pace? What if I forgot to reset the table between courses? What if I forgot an important ingredient? What if I rang something in wrong or forgot to ring in something altogether? I would go over every mistake I'd made in the previous shift and figure out how I could avoid them this shift, and on and on, until I arrived at work shaking and panicky. I couldn't get rid of this feeling that I needed to perfectly meet every whim of every guest, as if I could be a good enough server to force them to be happy, no matter what was going on in their life. It was people-pleasing on steroids, and in case you didn't know this, controlling people's emotions is a task for which we are all unsuitable. During that first month, I incessantly interrogated my coworkers about every scenario imaginable in an attempt to approach each table like I'd been working at this restaurant for years. The stakes for screwing up felt really high. I didn't want to ruin someone's nice evening at this swanky restaurant. I didn't want my managers to think I was an idiot. I didn't want the guest to become frustrated and therefore not tip me well. But the thing is, I did screw up. And things got screwed up that were totally out of my control. Even after I'd been there for six months and actually knew how to do the job. Even up until the day I left. As the months progressed, the pressure I was putting on myself to be perfect didn't go away. I just got better at my job. 
I was still just as hard on myself when I made a mistake. I would lie awake at night replaying miscommunications and awkward moments so that I wouldn't make the same mistakes the next day. A couple months before I quit, the restaurant rebranded and was renamed. Suddenly, the vibe was even faster paced, louder, and trendier. The standard was even higher because there was the added pressure to make this big investment from some serious names in the New York hospitality industry pay off. A famous designer had come in and added vibrant printed wallpaper, commissioned murals, painted the exterior, brought in new chairs and bright oil tablecloths. Upbeat pop music was pumped through the sound system at near-deafening decibels, and our uniforms were changed from a black button-up shirt and jeans to black jeans and more trendy chambray tops and dark denim aprons from a designer in Brooklyn. Everything was so cool and loud, as was the new clientele. I've never been either of those things, so that added the pressure to be a certain type of person, no matter how I was actually feeling. I couldn't have a bad day or a low-energy day. I had to be on for my entire 8- to 10-hour shift. A month in, I was exhausted. I was on my feet for 8- to 10 hours at a time, not eating, not drinking, not stopping, except during the 30-minute dinner break at the beginning of each shift. I would arrive home around midnight, order some food, crawl into bed around 2 or 3, then drag myself out of bed in time to commute to work the next day. So, clearly I have healthy work-life boundaries. A huge part of my worth has always been tied up in my productivity, my work ethic, my ability to do a job perfectly, whatever the cost, and to make everyone happy and also be the most likable and hardest working person in the room. So, you know, super attainable. Throughout all of these episodes, there is a strong identity theme. Am I who I am because of what I do? Am I who I am because of what I'm capable of doing? It was interesting to listen to each guest wrestle with these questions. Heidi talked about the pressure of being out of work in such a career-driven culture. Christian talked about struggling to separate his identity from his ability to be the best at a particular job. Deborah talked about owning the title writer. And Elise talked about struggling to feel confident in her music and her story. Maybe some of what they shared resonated with you. It seems like this is a struggle for a lot of people. I would say that work and career can become particularly consuming for singles because there isn't necessarily the expectation of prioritizing relationships and life outside of work. With a spouse and a kid, sure, but without? Maybe some of you have had the experience of being expected to work longer hours or have been left out of some benefits because your boss knows that you don't have a spouse or kids to rush home to. Okay, Patrick, maybe I don't have three kids like you do, but that doesn't mean that I don't have a life outside of this job. When I was working in the restaurant, the environment was too intense for me to learn to make better choices in the moment, so I quit. This was a luxury many do not have, and I sometimes wonder what it would have been like if I had stayed and had to learn to say no in the moment in spite of the pressure to lose myself in the work. Because guess what? Just because I do not have that specific job anymore does not mean that my boundary issues have magically disappeared. In some ways, they have only grown as I work on my own, and my work is so deeply personal and missional. 
In order to practice healthier work-life balance, I've recently started incorporating a day of rest. Some weeks, just the thought of it makes me tense. Well, even more tense. Rest is tricky because my work requires a lot of thinking and pondering and planning, most of which I can do anywhere in any context because these, these things happen in my brain and I can't exactly leave that at the office. I struggle to learn how to change the channel of my mind so that my rest time is actually restful. Rest is designed to train my mind and my spirit to trust God and my work, to not get sucked into the belief that it's all on me and that my work is who I am, that my productivity determines my worth. I can get so wrapped up in this idea of doing big work for God that I forget that God's love is not predicated on said big work. In her book, Out of Sorts, Sarah Bessie writes, When my productivity was removed from my spirituality— I learned how beloved we are, apart from what we can do or accomplish for God. In fact, I began to realize that a lot of what I was trying to accomplish for God was actually just me trying to gain recognition and satiate that weird desire to be God's hero. Something I got from each of the interviews was how important each person's faith is in grounding their sense of who they are outside of their productivity. Our faith can also help orient our priorities so that work can be the good thing it was created to be. It's good to have purpose and to work, but it isn't everything. Because before we are workers, we are loved. And hey, let's be honest here. We're not all designed to be type B. That's not what I'm saying. We were created differently to bring different things to the table. Some people bring calm. I bring a restless neurotic energy, so... You're welcome for that gift. But the point is that we need each other. We also need to mindfully consider what is defining us and motivating our choices, because it's not always a matter of disposition. I think there are probably some ways we can give ourselves permission to rest and to pursue enriching things outside of work. I also loved how each person talked about the role of their faith in their work. Okay, I specifically asked about it, but still. I think in the church, we tend to elevate ministry work, you know, like preaching and church staff, etc., as this ultimate work that is intrinsically better than any other. In fact, I intentionally chose to highlight people honoring God in what we would qualify as secular work. As I stated in a couple of the interviews, I have trouble with the sacred-secular divide we place on art and creative work in particular. But using these types of labels for any work is problematic. In a sermon on work, the senior pastor of my church, Abe Cho, said, The line that we tend to put between the supernatural and the natural, the sacred and the secular, that line is an invention of modern thinking. It's completely and utterly foreign to the thinking that we see in the Bible. There is no line that separates what is purely sacred from the things that are purely secular. All of work is spiritual in nature. See, when we read about the body of Christ, the church, we hear Paul talk about the many different types of gifts people can have. We read about the church being one body with many parts. In her book, A Woman's Place, Kaylin Beatty writes, God has planted the seeds of creation. Now, He is handing over the tasks of maintaining and cultivating creation to His image bearers. This happens in and out of the context of church work. 
I love to think about the fact that Jesus learned a trade. Before he started his three-year-long ministry at the age of 30, he was trained as a craftsman. He learned how to work with his hands, to take raw material and turn it into something useful and good. What if we could look at our work, whether we love it or hate it, whether we are bankers, servers, writers, or preachers, as an act of living out our identity as bearers of the image of God? So, as promised, I'm going to give you some tools. These are questions you can ask yourself to diagnose where you are mentally and emotionally with your work and identity. I plan to use these questions as well, especially when I'm feeling overwhelmed or burnout. I'm not here to add more to your plate or make you feel guilty about how you answer these questions. We're just here to recognize a reality, to take your temperature, if you will. And in doing so, I hope we can prayerfully turn our focus toward the God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I recognize that some of you may be working three jobs to cobble together a living wage, and that not everyone has the luxury to sit around all day and think about this stuff. But I hope that these questions can challenge and encourage each of us, no matter our financial situation or the type of work we do. Maybe if you're in a situation where you are unemployed or underemployed or don't have the job security that many take for granted, these questions will help center you on the God who sees how hard you're working, who laments unjust business practices and economic structures, and who clothes you in dignity and strength. If you're someone who has the privilege of a well-paying job and security in that job, maybe use these questions to think about how engaging in your work differently can be a leaping off point for humbly serving your neighbors who do not have the same privileges and advocating for better business practices. So, here are those questions. What gets me out of bed in the morning? What is the best part of my day? How much time in a given week do I set aside for relationships, service, my health, and the things that nourish my soul? Do I exclusively reserve these activities for days off? How do I feel when I start a new project? When I finish? Do I take regular breaks or is it hard to tear myself away? How much coffee do I need to get through my day? Is there a work relationship I dread facing every day? Why? When I leave work, am I able to stop thinking about work? What keeps me up at night? What brokenness in my industry do I find frustrating? What do I believe is the purpose of work in general and my work specifically? How do I think God feels about my work? Why? What supports or challenges my conclusion? Feel free to reflect on these questions individually. Maybe pray through and journal about them if you feel so inclined. I would suggest you spend time with a trusted friend and wrestle through some of these questions together. If this topic has been overwhelming for you or made you feel deep pain, anger, or sadness, consider reaching out to a counselor, a trusted pastor, or a hotline to talk about it. If you want all of this in written format, plus a bonus discussion guide and a book list, you may have it totally free. All you have to do is head over to my website and subscribe to my newsletter. Then boom, it'll come straight to your inbox. This will also sign you up for my email list. So I'll send you an email every other week 
with an exclusive message from me, links to all the latest on the blog and the podcast, and also recommendations for books and music and podcasts I think you'll love. I'd love to hear from you. If you have thoughts or feedback, there are a couple ways you can communicate those. One, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Two, follow me on Instagram at maryb.saferit and engage with me there. Or three, head to my website, marybsaferit.com and click contact me. That's all for this series. Thanks for sticking around. Theme music and sound editing is by Chad Rollinson. Unsuitable with Mary B. Saferit and all content therein is the intellectual property of Mary B. Saferit LLC and may not be used without permission.